right, all right. Welcome to episode seven of The Critical Social Worker, a revolutionary storytelling podcast. My name is Christian A. Stetler, and I am a professor in the social work department at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And this morning, I'm broadcasting live from Ock Bay in Juneau, Alaska. And you know, I like to always give a weather update. And uh, I said last time, um, last week, I said that the weather couldn't make up its mind, that one day it was spring, one day it was winter, and it kept going back and forth. Well, the last week has definitely decided that it's still winter. It's just been cold, rainy snow. Um, so I'm hoping for some springtime on the horizon down here in Southeast Alaska. But I'm fortunate to be blessed with two co-hosts today. Robin, how's it? Good. Good morning. I am well. Thank you. Looking forward to visiting with all of you and feeling like a seasoned veteran with my you know, one podcast under my belt here. So I'd like to extend a warm welcome to Alexis, fellow student and first timer. Hello, Alexis. Hi. Conscious party. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. Um, I'm good. And it's not raining, so it makes it even better. <laughs> this is my first time um, being on the podcast. So this is a, a really cool experience, a really great opportunity um, thank you, Justin, so much for coming. Um, you had said that you you had never done this either, so we're brand new. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Justin, I just want to say thanks for coming. Um, I'm going to have you give us an introduction with the story in a minute. But, Justin, I met Justin uh, through a, an old uh, student friend of mine um, that lives here in Juneau, and she took me to a – to a drumming circle and introduced me to Justin and I was um, kind of captivated and inspired by what I saw there, what I participated in, what I've learned from, from and about Justin since. Um, so we'll get to Justin in a minute. Um, and we got a great episode planned. I can't wait to get to it. But before we get to all that, as always, there's a couple of things we want to cover. Robin, you're on mute, Robin. So much for that seasoned veteran experience. The Critical Social Worker is supported by the Social Work Department at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. However, we want to be clear that any opinions expressed on this podcast, be it by host, guest, or listeners calling in, do not necessarily reflect the values of the Social Work Department, College of Liberal Arts, the University of Alaska Fairbanks, or any of its affiliates. The opinions and ideas shared belong to the speaker alone. Yeah, thanks, Robin. And that's important. If you don't like something that one of us says, then please take it up with the individual, um, which you could even address it during the podcast, during the question time. You could call in, you could write a question in the chat, or you can always email me at castetler at alaska.edu. Um, our opinions are our own, and they don't represent any other organization or individual. And with that being said, Alexis, would you mind sharing our mission statement? Yeah, of course. The Critical Social Worker podcast unfolds unique stories and diverse perspectives to foster critical dialogue, empathy, and understanding for all listeners. Through storytelling grounded in social work values, we aim to change ourselves and the world one story at a time. Thanks, Alexis. And one of those underlying themes of that mission statement is obviously the idea of telling stories. So we here at The Critical Social Worker, we believe that each individual is multi-layered with unique life experiences, and we want to help unfold some of these layers through stories that we can learn and grow from, stories that help build critical consciousness. 
And I'd like to recognize UAF Social Work Department for bringing us all together today. As a BSW student, I feel really lucky to be in this little community for a number of reasons. One being that it really acknowledges and respects Native perspectives and values. And as an Alaska Native person stuck in Ohio, <laughs> I'm especially appreciative to be able to do this all online and at an affordable in-state tuition price. So that's a little piece of my story. With that, I'll turn it back over to Professor Settler. Yeah, thank you, Robin, for the kind words. And um, the best way to find the Department of Social Work is just go to Google and search uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks or UAF Social Work, and it'll take you right to us. You can also find us on Facebook um, if you're interested in the program. But what about you that's listening in? Do you have a story to tell? Are you interested in coming on the show as a guest to tell your story or to share your stories? If you are, uh, please hit me up with an email. Like I said, that is at C-A-Stetler, C-A-S-T-E-T-T-L-E-R at alaska.edu. Do you enjoy The Critical Social Worker? If you do, please support us by leaving a review on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. You can also make sure to follow the podcast on Colin. Thank you. Uh, well, all right. I think it's uh, time for us to get this party started for real. Hey, yo, everyone, gather around. It's story time. Brought to you by the University of Alaska Fairbanks, Department of Social Work, and a Conscious Party Productions. You are listening to The Critical Social Worker, a revolutionary storytelling podcast. A conscious party. Revolutionizing our minds. Elevating our consciousness. Changing our worlds. Your story. My story. Our story. All right, all right. Well, once upon a time, when I was about 19 years old, this is all the way back long, long time ago, in uh, like 2002, I think. I was hanging out with some friends of mine, and a, f a friend of mine's mom had just gotten out of jail or out of prison, and uh, she offered to let us smoke methamphetamines with her, and I had no idea what that was at that time. Um, but I remember it very clearly. She had a, she did something with a light bulb, and uh, she put a straw in the light bulb, and um, when I smoked methamphetamine for that first time, it woke me up right away and it like ignited something in me that was, that had been asleep. And I rode that wave higher and higher and higher. And, um, well, one day, not, not too long afterwards, the first time that I had tried it, my friend Bubba, who was with us that night, uh, that first night, he called or he, he called me and he asked me to pick him up at this house. And when I got there, um, I looked around and it was like a total trash drug house. There was people lying everywhere. There was drug paraphernalia everywhere, trash, ashtrays, cigarette butts, everything everywhere. And I was like, damn, Bubba, what the hell are you doing here? You know, you don't belong in a place like this. I remember I was so confused why he would be at a place like this. Well, like I said, I rode that initial wave uh, the first time that I used meth and I kept riding it and I rode it higher and higher and higher until one day that wave crashed. And I woke up on that same couch uh, that I had found Bubba in uh, a year before. And when I woke up, um, you know, I kind of looked at myself the same way I looked at Bubba that night. And I made a decision that I was done with all of that. And I checked myself 
in, I walked to the hospital. I checked myself into treatment, into rehab. Um, and I did pretty well in recovery. You know, I kind of lived it like they say you're supposed to. I went to lots of meetings. I had a sponsor. I worked those 12 steps as much as I could. Um, but there was something missing uh, from myself. And I was kind of, I, I want to use the word unwell. And eventually, uh, I started drinking alcohol. Um, and despite finding, met, you know, many successes through, you know, job promotions, things like that, things, uh, heights that I never expected to reach through work and education, I was really unwell. I was unwell physically, I was unwell mentally, and I was unwell spiritually. And, uh, you know, my alcohol consumption, like way over consumption, you know, it, it only exacerbated those things and made them worse, especially over time. Like I said, I was unwell in many, many years after that time in recovery. I had to reexamine myself again. You know, now I had a family that depended on me. I had to look out for them, which meant I had to look out for myself. And it was hard to look at myself with alcohol, much harder than it was with, with, um, with the, the illicit, the illegal drugs. Because, you know, you're taught growing up, you're not supposed to use those other things anyways. Um, but alcohol had been everywhere in my life forever. Like I have no real memories as a child, as an adult, whatever, where alcohol wasn't such a main theme. Um, and so I've never known any time in my life or any place where alcohol wasn't everywhere. And so I've had to really look at myself and say, what, do I, what are my beliefs and what are my ideas? And, you know, I had to almost uh, like weigh out the, praise, the, the pros and cons. Like, what does alcohol do for me and what does it not do for me, basically? And when I really did that, it was obvious the many different ways that alcohol made me unwell. And Justin, you told us your story a little bit yesterday. Um, and you said that your last drink was back in 1999, I believe. And you had a really compelling story. You have a really compelling story about, um, you know, where you were at and how you became sober and how that ties into drumming and whatnot. And I was wondering if you might just introduce uh, yourself to us by telling that story of, of the road that you've taken and how, how you know, where, you know, wherever you were at before 99, how did you get to where you're at today? And, and what was that journey along the way? Oh, Mataki Ape. Hihani washte, talk chinupa with chasha. Chante washte in a pea chiusape. Jikut sak, sukten ad, or even dog salmon. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My relatives. My name is Justin McDonald. I'm Dakota Sioux, uh, born in, in uh, Fort Houghton, North Dakota. And it's with a warm and, and, and a happy heart that I that I sit before you and and uh, and feel honored to be asked to, to be on a podcast. This is my first time, so that's awesome. I like how it's all structured and how it works out. You got something really awesome going here. But yeah, um, my story, you know, um, was born in North Dakota, part of the BA relocation program in the '60s. My mother uh, left the reservation with me. And went to Los Angeles. My father, stepfather from uh, here in Cake, Alaska and Southeast Alaska, he's Plinkett, Plinkett Filipino, under the same program, went to Los Angeles well. That's where they met. We're there for a few years. And after the big earthquake, right after, my mom wanted out of there. So he brought us back to Alaska. And so I've been here a majority of my life. So I guess you can uh, call me Alaskan Sioux. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, yeah. You know, just being predisposed, alcohol, alcohol and addiction, you know, running, running my family on, on both sides, on my biological father's side, my, my mother's side, and then, uh, you know, my stepfather's side. And so uh, <clears throat> I'm no stranger to, uh, you know, the dysfunction and abuse that comes with uh, alcoholism. And so, um, you know, being genetically predisposed, it didn't take much. You know, I started when I was a, a young, <clears throat> excuse me, here in the village when I was uh, 13. And actually, I've been drinking, I guess, you know, taking alcohol since all, all my life growing up. Little bits here and there, you know. And uh, I think I got drunk when I was, really drunk when I was eight years old one time. And... But I really started on a regular, kind of regular basis when I was 13 in, in school, drinking hard, hard liquor with friends. And it was like almost, you know, on the weekends and, and then pre, um, progressed to, you know, weekend, almost every weekend to, you know, sometimes during the week, taking off from school to go find someone to buy us something in the morning and going back thinking, you know, that we could fool everybody. <clears throat> Did that a few times, but got caught every time. Um so alcohol, you know, was in, in, uh, in my life for, for quite a while. I guess you could say all my life. So a lot of dysfunction came with that. It wasn't until I won't get into all the details, a lot of trouble, a lot of losses, a lot of um, uh, uh, trouble happened with that, came along with that, loss of relationships, and, and just not knowing how to really be happy and, you know, be happy inside, happy inside and out, emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, but it was in my thirties when I finally sobered up after, you know, many attempts as, you know, as the story of all, you know, pretty much all people who are in recovery have been to treatment four times, uh, the fourth time, the other times, you know, the first three times were for something else, you know, to please the course, to save a relationship. You know, the fourth time I got to a point of just, you heard that term being sick and tired of being sick and tired Had a family, a good job. And, uh, those are like, those are secondary. They weren't even important at this time because I did have short bursts of uh, spurts of uh, sobriety, clarity, and I liked how that felt. When I'd relapse, it you know wasn't so easy just because I've been there before in my mind. I'm thinking I could. That's what I want that again, but I just couldn't get back to it. So I had to go to treatment, you know, each time I, I um, after a relapse and walking down that road for a while, and. So I just got to that point where, you know, recovery and sobriety meant the most. It didn't matter if I lost my family or the job. I just wanted wanted clarity, wanted sobriety. <clears throat> and so I went motivated to, you know, start working on these traumas, too, because I knew there were certain ones in my life as I'd grown up with some of the sexual abuse and, and some pretty, you know, wicked domestic violence and traumas that I've experienced growing up. Some of them, you know, there's a select few that would come up throughout my life. And when they would come up, it was a major trigger. It was like a bomb going off, and I didn't know how to handle that. It was like a panicked, wounded animal, nowhere to run. All I knew to do, my go-to was go get so drunk I don't feel. But that always came along with suicidal ideation and attempts. So there's quite a few of those as well. I'm glad I wasn't successful. But, you know, I was carrying a lot of pain, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt. And uh, so I went into treatment thinking, I'm going to deal with these certain ones that keep haunting me and, and blowing up on me when I get triggered. <clears throat> and then um, 
I don't know, and, and just take it from there and keep moving forward, hopefully. So I went to went to treatment, gung-ho, but it was so hard to bring this out, in the, you know, uh, right off the bat. As soon as I was in treatment, we had group sessions, and it was just really hard, you know, to break that ice and just to get out those first few words of what happened. But when it happened, it was like floodgates opened up. Couldn't believe how much hurt and hurt was held back, you know, behind these, these gates, these floodgates. As soon as it opened up, so much poured out. That I had to go, the counselor let me go and just go and sleep for a while because I was so physically drained just from that emotional, emotional suppression that it just kind of blew up. <clears throat> so that was, that was very interesting. But that was a step, the step, you know, the start of my uh, sobriety. And then a week in before, a week before I graduated, I had a, a vision, a, a dream. And it was uh, of a drum. You see me sitting next to my drum right here, my grandfather. <clears throat> I heard a drum and I could tell it was now that I've been in, you know, drumming for quite a while that uh, I could tell it was a group of people around the drum. Just the way it sounded, <clears throat> but I didn't hear singing. I didn't see anything. And it was a far off distance and it started coming closer and closer because as it got closer, it got more loud. And my heart was heart was pounding, was beating with pride, you know, and then as it got closer, it just got intensified. Like I was inside the drum or over it and it, was just really powerful and i woke up with my heart pounding and just wide awake wondering what just happened and that was that was interesting i was at awe so i finished up you know graduated treatment and then uh, got home and i was compelled to make a drum so i cut the butt end off a cedar log hollowed it out kind of prepped the best i knew how never made a drum before had a deer got a deer worked the hide stretched hide on one side and it just sat and then we have uh, in our village we're just we're uh, separate from uh, the main island. And so, uh, and this is Tlingit, Tlingit territory and country. And so, and with that being said, right now, I want to just acknowledge, you know, I'm on uh, Kikwan territory here. So I want to acknowledge, you know, the people that uh, have lived here for, you know, a thousand years, <clears throat> the Tlingit people. But I also want to acknowledge all the other Tlingits of Southeast as well. And so, uh, um, what was I saying? Yeah, I made this drum. It just sat. And then we have a, a, a lady who, a community member who went off to school, Durango, Colorado, I think it was. And she met a guy from North Dakota who was a drummer. Another guy from North Dakota. And so um, he came and he was a drummer. He seen my drum and, you know, we connected and he started teaching me songs. And he was only here for maybe a month, if that. So left me with those songs. And, after, and that's just where, the, where it started with the drumming. Was doing it ever since. It's almost like Creator, you know, brought brought uh, put this this vision, this this um, responsibility, this blessing and gift, you know, in my life. Because I didn't ask for it. I wasn't raised in my Dakota culture or in the Tlingit culture at all. It was hardly talked about. <clears throat> and uh, so it was interesting how that came came to me, and it was kind of just put in my lap. So uh, you know, just kept drumming. I did it for the community. We have some fun. Had some funding. Uh, was able to purchase a, a real drum. It wasn't this one. It was a different one. Been through a few different drums since then. And just continued on, you know, for people in recovery, for the children, and the community in general. And, uh, and, and it was a big part of my, my walk on the Red Road. <clears throat> and, uh, and that's, you know, the Red Road is a native term concept and, you know, and belief. Walking in a good way, walking sober, you know, um, following the footsteps of our ancestors, practicing, you know, our, our, our culture, 
live in our culture, but being above clear mind as well, treating people the way we know creator would want us to treat people and live our life in a good way, compassionate way, respectful way, generous way. <clears throat> and so um, started on that path. The drum has been with me ever, ever since. And uh, since then, it's just it's almost like a creator put like this, um, this uh, desire to, to give and commit, you know, and volunteer my time to the people. So it started in 99 when I started drumming then, and, and it just continued on. I've been carrying the drum ever since, wherever I went, Juno. And, you know, I went to Juno in uh, 2010 and uh, started a drum group over there. And so, you know, I work for uh, Search Behavioral Health in Juno. And so I had, since I was an employee, I had access to a conference room. So I started uh, just starting a drum group. And pretty soon we start offering it to our clients at Behavioral Health. A lot of our clients, you know, are those who are, you know, clinking people, those who are, you know, dealing with a lot of, uh, a bro- coming from broken homes, a lot of dysfunction, coming out of addiction, you know, uh, trying to get their children back. They had lost everything, but they're working to get it back. <clears throat> and so they would come. And the, and, the, and the numbers just start growing. But, you, you know, through observation, I've seen since then how what, you know, positive impact, powerful impact the drum can have on, on people of any race, of, you know, any dynamic or whatever they're going through. Because, you know, one of the teachings that was uh, given to me was, you know, the drum. It's like when we were first in our mother's womb, you know, we're, we're undergoing that miracle going from nothing to that fetus in nine months, this beat is, is steady while we're developing. It's providing everything we need, you know, to develop and be healthy. And so they say at nine months when we come out of the womb that the drum is to take the heartbeat, heartbeat's place. And so they consider these, these drums, you know, the heartbeat of the people, heartbeat of Mother Earth. And, um, yeah, we come out of the womb. It's meant to carry on and, and, and listen to that drum, play the drum, have the drum in our life from through infant, youth, adult, and elder till we pass on again. And this drum is just meant to be here, you know, forever, helping the people. And it doesn't matter, you know, for Native American, the drum and just music in general is good for, for any human being. So, you know, we consider the drum, uh, you know, as a, a, a prayer tool that was given to us by, by Creator. And so it doesn't matter if it's our hand drums, these big drums, our Eskimo drums. Uh, you know, they were given to us for a reason. They're used for happy, good social times, fun times, for prayer, ceremony times, you know, for special gatherings. You know, we sing a variety of different songs on these drums, songs for babies, mothers and their children, veterans, a lot of honor songs for different things, accomplishments and achievements, prayer songs, Um fun, happy, social gathering songs, dance songs. But anytime we play the drum, it, whether it's a fun, happy children's song or something, just when we start beating, that's like a prayer going up once we start hitting that drum. And we all come together, and there's a process before we get together. You'll see, you know, we'll, uh, my grandson's with me too, and uh, we'll get a chance. And hopefully, you know, we can still sing a song for you. We'd like to have my grandson sing with me. And we'll, uh, there's a process to offering tobacco, you know, to, to grandfather when, when we um, sing and come to, the, when we come to the drum to sing. Because we know it's going to, we're putting a good energy, good medicine out into the universe. 
<clears throat> so you don't necessarily need to even be at the drum to really be feel the positive impacts of it. You could be sitting back, you know, listening to it and it still touches your heart and, and, and you still feel that good energy and vibration medicine. I consider it medicine because it's something that makes you feel good inside and we don't have to ingest a pill. We don't have to smoke anything. We don't have to drink anything for this, this high, this euphoria, this impact. And so it's been a big part of uh, my path. And uh, it was, you know, I'm, I'm grateful all the time, you know, that I was chosen. Sometimes I feel like I'm not worthy to do it. But it's almost like creator says, you know, I'm giving you this responsibility, this gift, this blessing. I'll provide everything you need. You just carry it and show up. So he's taught me how to, you know, to sing. And uh, he brings the people. He brings that, that medicine, that good energy, you know. And then when it touches other people in that way, you know, just that awe. I'm on cloud nine when we have a, a gathering of people and we drum just because of the impact it has on everyone, that good feeling I'm getting. Um, so there's so many, you know, success stories as far as people coming through our drumming, our drum nights in Juno that I used to have. We were averaging 40 to 70 people, you know, every Friday. And that was great. And so, you know, some success stories is mothers or fathers who were down in the dumps, you know, had hit their bottom living on on their bottom, you know, caught up in substance abuse, lost custody of their children, lost housing, you know, uh, burnt bridges with family. So they're homeless. And finally, you know, they have this, this epiphany, this vision, you know, to, they want better. They want their children back. Everyone said, every one of them said that they want their children back. So they know they're going to have to start climbing and doing some work. And so they, you know, they go to treatment. They'll come to our groups because I also provide, some other recovery-based groups that are native-based native recovery groups. Um, so they come and participate in these groups as well as some other groups, you know, uh, women's groups that offer that Lincoln Haida Central Council as well, Tribal Family Youth Services. So they'd be, you know, jumping through all these hoops, getting help for themselves, and slowly climbing back up the, those rungs of that ladder out of the hole. And then they'd be able to, they would allow OCS and, and ICWA would allow the mothers to come supervise, uh, supervise visitation to our groups. They'd get to gather with their children. And that was a beautiful thing. And I'll always be with me, them sitting and doing crafts with their children, just seeing that happiness, the excitement, children, you know, miss their parent. Now they're doing something positive and interacting with their children, coming to the drum and get to experience that, you know, and then to see some of them, you know, still have, you know, they had their own home. They have custody, full custody. They're out of the system and, and just doing well. And that was, yeah, that'll always stick with me. And, you know, and, and then some of our other groups as well, we have the drum just to open us up in prayer, really emphasize spirituality, emphasize sobriety, you know, at least, you know, a willingness and, to, and desire, you know, to want to sober up. But we really believe in planting seeds too, and the drum can really do that. I'm no expert at the drum. When I go down south to North Dakota or, you know, South Dakota, I'm like a beginner when I get with those guys. <clears throat> with my brothers down that way. So, uh, you know, I just share what, what I've learned so far. I've been doing it for quite a while. You know, think these all these years that I've been drumming, I'd be a real expert when I get down there, you know, singing with them. It's totally different. But, you know, it's still sync. And it still has an impact. So it's... It <clears throat> doesn't matter, you know, what level we are as far as, you know, singing. 
as soon as we start hitting that drum, we come with good intentions. Everything you know that we do in in life, if it's good with good intentions, it's it's good. You know, we may mess up, but we have good intentions. You know that uh, <clears throat> Creator still hears us. Our ancestors still hear us and support us. Um. So you know, I sobered up in my adult life, talking about how you know the the impact and, and um, the impact the drum has as we're in the womb. As we're developing, now we get into recovery. You know, I was in my 30s, and I was like, you know, I'm 30 years old physically, but maybe 15 to 17 years old mentally. You know, in certain situations, so I needed to work to be able to build that up and um, <clears throat> bring balance there. But uh, the drum, you know, has brought a lot of calmness as I start working on that, and that's what um, you know, well, Brighty is about, and that's one of the I, I utilize that program from a, a program, uh, a foundation called White Bison. It's native-based. They offer a variety of different curriculums, Medicine World 12 Steps for men and women, um, Wellbrighty. I offer the Wellbrighty and the 12 Steps Medicine Will. And there's uh, other programs as well. And, uh, and Wellbrighty you know, is, is two words, and it, it means wellness and sobriety. And so, uh, you know, one thing is it's a... A very important step to get alcohol and drugs, a substance out of our life, you know, but then the real work starts when, when now we get that out of the way, we need to start working on those, those, those hurts, those pains, those traumas, those things that are inside at the root. <clears throat> and so, you know, we believe in, you know, healing from the inside out. That's a very difficult thing to do, especially when a lot of those traumas come with, um, instill a lot of resentment, anger, depression, uh, PTSD, anxiety, you know, it's so hard when we start talking and want to, want to heal. I'm sure everyone wants to be free of all this stuff, but as soon as we start thinking about this, we get triggered and, and we see that in therapy a lot. People want help, you know, but they start talking about traumatic experiences. The PTSD comes up, panic attacks, they hit this wall and we'll back off. And then, you know, maybe isolate, isolate and, uh, and, and sit in isolation for a while, you know, in depression. Depression and anxiety, and it takes a while to come back out again until it kind of subsides and come back out again. And I've noticed that some of them are, are faithful and, and, you know, going to church all the time, have that support of the church on a regular basis, or going to Native groups. But, you know, uh, when we have that, that trauma on the inside, it's almost like a mold spore deep inside. We could wipe it clear on the outside, diluting some... Uh, Clorox, but if the conditions get back to where they were, you know, in a negative way, that starts to discolor again, work its way back out. It's kind of like our trauma. I've come to see it. We can do temporary surface work and feel good temporarily and go to these groups and it helps us kind of stay afloat. But once we get triggered deep inside by something, you know, sexual abuse or one of those other traumas, it's like that bomb, you know, just exploding, imploding and <clears throat> and then, you know, that's where the isolation comes. We, you know, we feel like a wounded animal, you know, and, and, and talking about some of these. And some of these were elders as well, too, getting triggered by maybe incest when they were children. And uh, a couple of them come to mind. And, yeah, they really get triggered and, and it was just isolating. They go to church every Sunday on a Wednesday and all, all these different groups and come to different uh uh, native groups, but once that trigger happens, boy, that bomb goes off, they isolate, they stay home for a while until it subsides and they come back out 
until they get triggered again. And so that's sad that some of our elders, some of our people don't even find freedom from that. And, and go to the graves and never have found freedom from that. You know, so that's a lot of intense work to do on the inside. But we definitely need to be, you know, have the alcohol and drugs out of the, out of the way. <clears throat> and um, it really helped me to have a therapist that told me that to anticipate hurtful feelings, you know, disturbing thoughts and memories that may come up, emotions, the PTSD. It's all going to come up. It's guaranteed, you know, but don't run. I got your back, you know, and so that made it made it good and uh, felt safe, you know, to take a risk <clears throat> and offer that up and not run when all that came, comes up. So I was talking about in therapy, people get to that point, hit that barrier, and, and it all the you know the PTSD, panic attacks, and everything triggers and ignites, and they back away. And so that's sad, you know. And so with the drum and the groups that we've had, they've allowed us to build rapport, build a, a place, atmosphere of safety and comfort and, and trust, you know, for people to finally want to start sharing. But it's a process where it takes time to 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 get to that point. You know, we don't expect anyone to come the first time and get have a positive impact and then start sharing and healing. You know, it, it takes time. It's kind of like an onion. We hear about the layers of an onion that hurts deep inside and you got anxiety, de- depression, resentment and anger and everything on those layers. In order to get through those, you know, um, a lot of emotion comes up when we start peeling each layer back and the drum is there to really bring that calmness. There's been studies done in, in uh, substance abuse treatment programs with the drum <clears throat> in these programs and the, and, the, and the feedback and the outcome results, you know, the, the, that it brought uh, calmness in the air and to a person's spirit, people carrying anxiety, feeling depressed. And I've seen that over the years through observation too, just watching, you know, the variety of people coming through, the multitudes of people coming through carrying some kind of hurt and pain how, uh, you know, the impact that it has. And, you know, it just really uh, brings a lot of comfort, calmness in the air to their spirit, you know. And then when, as they stick with me and they, they get to the point of slowly making their way to actually drumming and singing, I still have a lot in Juno. I'm in Cake now. I've moved back in six months. But when we get together, we get, um, we get together over there whenever I can. And there's still, you know, a lot of people that have been with me for, geez, for years and are doing well and really consider the drum they need that spiritual healing they'll say because they like that calmness it brings some of them you know are a lot of people always coming carrying a lot of grief from loss you know loss of death of a, a loved one or a relationship or their children they're in the system so they're grieving their children <clears throat> and it just helps to bring calmness and so um yeah i've seen that you know observed that through over, over the years when uh one story of a success story or interesting story of um, a group member who's still with me now. He's in Juneau, but he was able to get off his anxiety medications because, you know, he come to drumming all the time, interacting and, and embracing that, that energy, <clears throat> putting his heart into it, and then coming to our other groups as well, talking and sharing our native-based grief support group, well, Brighty group, and being held up by the group. So, you know, getting a lot of that hurt and that pain out talking. And sharing and then participating in the drum and coming to sweat lodge and some of the other ceremonies we offer and uh i thought that was really interesting that he was able to get off those anxiety medications 
because of, you know, what these practices uh, had done for him. So um, the drum continues to, to be in my life and be in my life till, until I die, you know. And then my, you know, with moving back to Cake, I have three grandchildren. The oldest one is with me now. And it's, you know, been a longing for me. I've been longing to teach and, and, and leave my grandsons with something before I, you know, before I go. I'd love to know that they're carrying on the drum and, and providing for the people, not just being singers, you know, for themselves or whatever, have fun, enjoying doing it. We want all that, but, you know, I want to do that for the people too, to continue the <clears throat> the healing and the helping, you know, that uh, the drum is, the creator's allowed me to do with the drum. And uh, I just want to put that out there, you know, that and it is through creator, the old most high that has brought all of this, <clears throat> all of this to me to be able to, you know, bring to the people. I don't carry any special talents or special gifts or powers or anything. Creator's good, you know, and, and you, if you're meant for something, and so many people are, you know, have, uh, they say that when we're born, that we're born for a reason. We have a special talent that we're meant to share with the world and we all have a song. So it's up to us to find, you know, what that, what our song is and what our special gifts are as well. But it's hard to find that, you know, what our special gifts are for plagued with trauma and hurt and pain. Because our identity, our spirit isn't allowed to really grow. It needs to experience things. It needs to venture out, take risks and try things. But if you're plagued with that, a lot of fear is at the base of that. You know, you're fearful of taking risks, especially positive risks. And so the drum really helps to help someone to take off, peel those layers back as they work through it, to bring that calmness. You know, and that's better than taking medication or anything, you know, as soon as we get flared up with anxiety or something, you know, that we want to take a pill or something or go smoke something to ease that, to numb it, <clears throat> you know, that uh, to know that we can do it without it. That's how our ancestors were. You know, they went through a lot of pain, a lot of anxiety. They didn't deal with what we're dealing with today, but they had their, you know, reasons for being, they went through anxiety, you know, famine, food wasn't always, uh, wasn't always sparse, you know, and death of loved ones, you know, to in battle or to accidents, you know, it's a lot of grief, grief and loss, but they knew they had a system and they didn't go and take something right away to numb that pain. They knew that they just had to go through it. It was just natural. And so I like to talk to, talk to, you know, our groups about that as well. And people that, you know, to get to that point, like our ancestors on this red road, you know, that we don't need to take something when we're hurting and, you know, anxieties we're anxiety ridden. <clears throat> There's a concept I heard from an elder one time. He says to be like the Guacan. Guacan is like a word for deer. He says when you, in the example is when you're shooting at a deer and and you miss it, and it startles. It gets startled and it runs. It looks like it's panicked, you know, anxiety ridden and takes off. You know, it's just really startled. It says it doesn't take long before it returns to that state of calmness and starts grazing again. It's not like a lot of us human beings, you know, we'll carry that anxiety for days, for months, you know, most of our life. To be like the Guacan, as soon as something happens, you know, to be able to have a, a, a support system or a, a, a strategy, you know, that can we use self-coping skills that help us to return to that state of calmness right away. The drum is a good one for me. It's a lot of those other practices as well. But I really like that anxiety. I mean, that... Uh, that not that anxiety. I meant um, that that analogy, that story. 
you know, I use that all the time as well. And I try to practice it myself, not to stay, because I get, we're human beings, you know, we get angry, we get anxiety, <clears throat> and uh, we get depressed now and then, you know, to not stay there. It's, uh, you know, up to us, and we have the ability to change our mind frame and to make and change that, that's, that uh, dynamic, that situation. But until we know that, we're just wounded animals running like, I, you know, I did for a lot of, a lot of my life and turning to something to numb that pain, which came with a lot of other negative consequences as well. You know, suicidal attempts and ideations and hurting people, getting hurt. <clears throat> and so, uh, and losing a lot of, a lot of family, you know, a lot, we've lost a lot of family to alcoholism and just a lot of our people. My passion is just to help as best I can, you know, to help our people to find some calmness and, and to uh, heal from the inside out. And so in any way that creator can, you know, put me in people's lives to do that, like through the groups or with drumming, you know, like I say, I'm no expert in anything. You know, I'm just out there for, for the people. And so it's, it's brought so many blessings in my life and other people's lives as well. So I'm just convinced it's just part of my life now till, till I die. I need to carry this cradle. We'll keep bringing the people. He'll take it where it needs to go. <clears throat> so that's coming from a spiritual aspect and belief, you know, of the drum. Because as Native people, you know, uh, you know, we're naturally spiritual, spiritual beings with the connection to, to earth. We've lost connection to that. Most of our, a lot, big majority of our people have, you know, as a whole. But it's... Um, through like guys like myself or other brothers and sisters that are sobering up, you know, to turn around and help and do what we can to help our people as best we can. You know, I'm always talking to them too. Is like they don't feel like they have any have any they don't have any credentials or any experience or skills to help their people. They haven't gone to school. You know, they're just sobering up. They feel like they can't learn. Uh, but you know, just try to show them that. Your life experiences a wealth of information, you know, especially if you've learned from your mistakes to turn around and use that because you can have people with master's degrees or even doctorates who, you know, ambassadors who can have the same impact as someone who's really walked that path and lived that life themselves. I really believe that. And so, you know, that makes them feel better and, uh, so we just need more of our, you know, more of our, more of our brothers and sisters, you know, sobering up, finding that healing and turning around and helping the, helping their people wherever they're at and whatever race, you know, this drum is, you know, if, we, if it related to the heart, all races have, all races of human have a heart. We all came from a mother. We all went through that same, same thing. In some tribes, the drum was brought to, to the women. In some tribes like mine, women don't sit at the drum. <clears throat> that the men sing and the women stand behind, you know, but uh, I allow women at, at this drum because we all go through those same, those same uh, conditions, those same struggles with anxiety, resentment, depression. And so I allow everyone at the drum. And uh, unless, you know, there's certain, certain, uh, there's certain etiquette that you've got to follow too, you know, for when people can't participate on the drum. But yeah, I allow women and women and men at the drum because we consider it a healing. It's been a healing drum for me. And that's how I've been carrying it all this time. And so many others that have come to the drum refer to that as well. And so I just kind of go off of some of our elders and mentors in, in North Dakota or South Dakota would say, you know, that's not that's not tradition. 
you know, that shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing that. And others will say, if it's working, do it. Our people need help. You know, think, what would our ancestors, what would our ancestors want, you know, to follow this, this practice, this protocol strictly and not allow certain people at the drum when, especially on the plains, you know, plains tribes, when they were fighting to, to the end, they wanted their way of life back. They wanted their lifestyle. They wanted spirituality back, be able to hunt freely and roam free like they did on Mother Earth before being corralled to having everything taken away and be corralled to uh, reservations, you know, and be giving all these, these rations of food and, and you know, a big portion of our big percentage of our Native people were wiped out intentionally. So, you know, uh, non-Natives could have laid to the land. And so, you know, the ones that we have back is, you know, doing what we can to, to lift our, lift our people up to heal, you know, um, I lost my friend, train, my, uh, train of thought here, but doing what we can as a, as a people to help each other. You know, when our people were fighting, oh, that's what I was leading to, we're fighting, you know, to the, to the last stand that we couldn't imagine what their thoughts were, you know, maybe fear that we're losing all our lifestyle is going to be, be gone here. It's dying out. You know, I just want my bloodline to have better, to have their way of life again. And, you know, if we were able to see what our ancestors thought, <clears throat> you know, as they sit up and see where we're at today, they'd be, you know, hurt. But I believe we can still honor our ancestors by being sober and making good decisions. You know, they're still, and I, I always like to imagine them sitting up there with, you know, nodding their head in the grants. Good decision. I'm proud of you. You know, <clears throat> some of our bad decisions are probably giving that head shake like if they were here, you know, but not giving up on us or hating us. So, uh, yeah, I uh, really lose my train of thought real easy. But, you know, that's where the drum is, um, how it's been in my life. I continue to carry it. Uh, we're singing today, actually, at the elementary school. I'm in a village about 500.
said, and then, you know, the suicide thoughts came in. So it's very interesting how the psyche works like that. So, you know, when we come together with the, with the drum, it does draw people. It's been at the heart and core of, you know, everything I've, I've done as far as the, the groups, the gatherings, and the other groups I do use the drum, and that really calls people in. It really brings calmness in the beginning to, like, we're going to have a group. You know, we offer prayer. Well, drum brings calmness so we can go into this meeting in a good way and not come in, you know, carrying a lot of anxiety and resentment. Because <clears throat> they say, you know, one of the teachings, you know, the, uh, the medicine people talk about, you know, is making ourselves a hollow bone. And uh, the hollow bone, in essence, is to kind of clear out our whole system of any barriers like anger, resentment, depression that might be inside because we might miss the blessing of creator, our ancestors, the spirits. You know, if it's if we're carrying a lot of hurt and pain, our attention goes to that. Those blessings might be deflected. I don't know, you know, but to take some time. And um, a lot of people go through ceremony before they get into a gathering to think about, you know, they're human too, you know, so they're carrying some hurt, some some anger maybe from something that happened. You know, they'll pray about it. Right now, I just leave this alone so I can go in with these people in a good way and not bring this negative energy in. So that's like making themselves this hollow bone. <clears throat> and so the drum has, has, in essence, helps to do that as well, kind of clear that clear that stuff out for the time being. Granted, you know, some of that stuff we really need to put some, bring some hard, do some hard work to, to uh, get through and to heal from. But so, yeah, I loved all the relationships how the drum just calls people. I think about that a lot, different scenarios. It's always called people, especially children. Children love the drum. You know, I was heard and I've seen, you know, babies, if they're crying and, you know, just put them on your heart, you know, and they'll kind of calm down or let them listen to the drum and they, they it calms them down. They remember that heartbeat. <clears throat> and so children are always really drawn to the drums. So we have kids songs and mouths open and flexible, you know, to, the kid wants to, a child wants to sing, let them. Or they want to come and drum. Even if they're off beat, it's not about that. It's about connecting with that drum. You know, and that just that in itself is planting a seed. So, yeah, a lot of different, uh, you know, if I got it individually to a lot of these uh, ones that came in, like for the homeless people or just people in general that were called to the drum and the relationships built, um, it would take a while. <clears throat> but, yeah, the drum is just amazing in how it draws people. I was wondering if you might um, talk about the drum itself. I've heard you say before, you know, to talk about the significance of the animals that it came from. And uh, I was just wondering if you can talk more about that. Sure. I've had a few different drums. Um, the hide, you know, we consider the drum like a, like a saying, it's um, like a, a live being. It is a live being. Spirit is alive in, in the drums. This one is the hide is made of moose. The frame is made of red cedar. They both came from a live being at one point. And so we believe the spirit of those are still in the drum. And our ancestors worked through that as well. So we, that's why we showed respect. It was a live being. You know, we're walking out in the woods and, you know, amongst the trees. It was like we're walking amongst elders. I heard someone that say, or I read somewhere, I remember where that... Uh, our people didn't have to go through a lot of things that we're going through today. They didn't go through that back then, but they still went through stress. But the connection they had with the, with the land and 
everything, you know, being, you know, believing that creator made everything and everything has a spirit. It's alive. You got this energy, life force coming up through the earth into the trees, the vegetation, which, you know, we're in a reciprocating interconnected system. And so we all depend on each other. Everything is made for a reason, your medicine, for teachings, for, for survival. Everything has a purpose. And so uh, when we use, uh, we use this drum, we know it's, it's, it's a live being. My other drum before this one was made of buffalo hide. The buffalo is very sacred to the Plains Indians. It was our source of, main source of everything, food, medicine, utensils, tools, weapons, clothing, shelter, so many things. The bones were made for, used for ceremonial purposes as well, especially the skulls. And so uh, that hide is, you know, very significant. Uh, buffalo hide was on the drum. And then the frame is usually, you know, made of, of a variety of different types of, of wood. And again, those, those come from live beings. And so any one of our drums that are made of an actual hide, and they come from different animals, like a deer, elk, moose, cow, a buffalo. I've heard of some being made from horse hide, seal hide. <clears throat> so those all, you know, live, live animals. And so we show it, we give it that respect, you know, that it, it's still alive and that spirit's in it to, to help us. And so, yeah, for a variety of different drums and they're all, they all have the same significance, no matter how big one is compared to the other. They all have the same uh, spiritual, spiritual significance to them all. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, you know, you talk, you've talked quite a bit about sobriety and you use the term well-briety and obviously sobriety is pretty self-explanatory, you know, not using alcohol, for example. Um, but what is the wellness part of that? And I know you've touched on it a little bit, but what is, what is the wellness part of it? And, um, you know, what happens when we, when say we go to recovery, whether that's through a program or through going to meetings or just staying sober, but we don't work on the other parts of ourselves. You know what I mean? We get sober, we get, we're not using anymore, but we're st all the same problems that may have led to us using in the first place. We're not, we're not taking care of those things. So what does that mean? Ah, well, like I said, I'm no expert uh, in really in, in the in this area, but wellness is wellness is dealing with our uh, you know our uh, mental and emotional state. Which, when we work on those, when we find healing and, and wellness in those, we gather we we get our spiritual connection. You know, uh, I think when we're carrying that hurt and trauma and everything yet and using. We understand spirituality, you know, we may go to church now and then we may practice native spirituality here and there, but don't have that consistent connection <clears throat> with, uh, with spirituality. And so uh, wellness is uh, taking time, whether it's, you know, working with uh, working in groups or working with the theory, but dealing with those hurts, and pains and traumas you know, emotionally and mentally. And a lot of those traumas come from a lot of different things from our childhood. They can even happen in, when we're in the womb, <clears throat> you know. And so uh, we carry a lot of hurt, a lot of hurt and pain. And it takes time to really work on that, on that stuff. But we need to be sober in order to do it, clear-minded, you know. Like, again, mine took therapy to really identify why am I feeling a certain way? Why am I acting 
and thinking certain ways. It's not normal. So I needed help. We need help to identify that first. Jesus. You know, we recognize that something needs to be done. Something's wrong. Something's off. And then we work to identify it. We identify it, you know, trauma, you know, a certain specific type of trauma. And then we do the work that needs to be done, you know, to, to understand it, to come to terms with it, and then to be able to let go to a certain degree. We never forget. And it takes time to really work through trauma because it could keep coming back like grief comes back in waves. But we need these coping skills. We need to learn them, you know, to practice on our own when they do come in, to be able to do it on our own because we're not going to have a therapist there every time, you know, something happens when we're feeling bad. So uh, for me, I have to go to to uh, therapy to learn these skills and then practice, <clears throat> practice on my own. And then talking, talking in groups. Continuing to talk and to use it, you know, but you got to build that trust in groups, talking circles with certain people to be able to open up and make ourselves vulnerable to, you know, to let people in, you know, to share these things that are very personal. But you got to build that trust and, and comfortability, you know, wherever you're at, even with a therapist. It takes time to get to that point. So until we do that, it's interesting, you know, when we were younger, some of my friends, we had... Uh, about seven churches in this little community. And there's some elders that went to church faithfully, almost fanatics, you know, always preaching the Bible and forgiveness, but they're very seem angry and crabby all the time. And you hear that they got saved, the concept of being saved. Creator came into the life and touched them and let them know he was real. And I've actually experienced that one time. And because uh, I was actually ready to... Uh, kill myself one night and I was sober trying to stay sober but again it was loss of a relationship <clears throat> but um, I will get into that whole story that's an interesting one as well but uh, these elders you know they had this experience as well they met, made them feel good they started going to church and but they never worked on themselves their hurts and pains you find out they came from very abusive homes when they were younger that they've been drinking most of their lives were abusive themselves to their families, you know, the kids and their, their significant other, but, and never, ever worked on that. But these ones are going around all the time. You know, you, you need to go to church. You need to repent. You need to forgive. And always, you know, talking like that, but always angry, judgmental, and critical. And um, I remember me and a couple of friends, even though we were using, you know, we're thinking, man, if that's that's not what we, we, we were taught that God was about, you know, that God was about love. Creator is about love. <clears throat> and said, if that's what Creator is about, you know, and Christianity is about, we don't want it. We don't want to be that unhappy. You know, and some of them went to their grave like that, you know, and then just come to find out they never, and that's, you know, only a assumption, I guess. They had that spiritual experience, Creator let them know he's real, but they didn't do that wellness part and work on themselves. So that made their hearts hard. Still had all those layers around that onion, you know. <clears throat> and walking in life, trying to be happy, you know, the best they can and spread the word, you know, but it's just covered with these layers. And so, again, judgmental and critical, angry. <clears throat> so that's the best way I can, you know, uh, explain from my experience of, you know, getting us uh, well brighty, you know, getting the substance out of the way and the importance of working on our wellness as well. You know, what does wellness mean? I don't know. Um, you know, it's a constant state of 
being aware of where you're at um, when you're hurting. Have a support system that you can call on. You can work and not isolate and and call and reach out to nobody because that's the worst thing is you know being in our being in our own minds, isolated with no support, reaching out for help. You know, uh, <clears throat> so the importance of working on our our wellness is um, very detrimental to you know just being happy. You know, who the ones, who's the ones that suffer, you know, is our, our family, our children. So in my, my priorities, you know, just in recovery is, you know, creator first, then sobriety, and then family. You would think, you know, anyone would say, oh, my family's first. They're first above everything. I love my family. I love my family too. I'm no good to them when I'm using. So I need creator in my life. <clears throat> you know, it's been at the forefront since I sobered up. And with everything he's brought in my life and, and all the blessings that have come, I, there's no way I can doubt or question. So, creator first. Creator, I need creator to help me stay sober. If I'm sober, you know, and, and then my family benefits. <clears throat> so that's been my, you know, my, my main priorities. Priorities in life, you know, is creator, sobriety, and then and family. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I lost it that fast. <laughs> I was just going to say that one of the, the themes that I hear you talking about, you know, is having somebody to talk to. And it's amazing as a social worker over the years, how many people I talk to that, you know, claim that they've never had anybody to talk to, that they felt comfortable sharing their feelings or their thoughts or, their, you know, their traumas even. And, uh, you know, that's that can be traumatic in itself is just not having somebody to talk to, you know, nobody to trust. I mean, say nobody at all, but, you know, having people there or groups there where you can feel like you can honestly share, you know, what you're going through and, and, and what you're dealing with. And so I appreciate that, that you have that available. Um, so in the essence of time, um, we still got to get through uh, both of our co-hosts questions, questions from the audience, and you wanted to sing later at the end. So I have just one more question for you, a lighthearted question. Um, I know you like to go to the movies and, um, you know, I think it's, that's part of our culture that I think was kind of like American culture that was positive, that it's kind of slipping away in certain ways, you know, due to all the streaming things going on and whatever. But, um, I took my kids to the movie, my family to the movie the other night and it was great. Uh, it was just a fun experience to go to get out and go to the movie. And so I was just wondering out of all the movies you've been to in person at the theater, what was your best movie? Not maybe the best movie you ever saw, but, what was your best experience of going to a movie? Well, first off, the popcorn has to be good. <laughs> yeah. I'm a popcorn fanatic when it comes to theater popcorn. <clears throat> Sometimes I'll go to a movie, don't even know what, what it's about, you know, don't care if it's good or not, you know, I'm going for the popcorn <clears throat> and just something different. Um, most it's, I would say, you know, the Avatar movies when I've gone to Avatar movies, just the significance that it has, you know, in relation to native, you know, plight of the native people. So it's the same stuff that happened to, you know, to our native people in general, you know, and it's just such a beautiful movie when they um, show their connection to the earth, you know, connecting with that, that life energy coming up from the earth, the connection for it outside forces you know coming in to destroy what they have because they have no value for it you know it's all about take and <clears throat> take and destroy and conquer and overcome 
And so uh, those have, you know, been, you know, my favorite movies when I've been at, been at the theaters. I like action movies, <clears throat> action movies, some drama, you know, but uh, the avatars, those really kept me in, you know, kept my attention the whole time. You know, it just was really heartfelt. And I just love how, how you know, how they, how they created that movie, what those movies are all about and what they, uh, what they uh, depict. That second one was an awesome movie. That was the last one I went to. Was the Avatar, and it was. Yeah, I'm glad I went to that one. It was great.
and that stinking thinking may come in, you know, I've burnt out a couple of times not being mindful of it. I don't catch it till it hits me physically. But I think about it, it started way back. You know, I got tired. I want to do this mentally, you know, I think telling myself, you know, I don't really want to do this. You know, it's I want to just rest or do something else. But for me, as like creator put it in my life and I need to just, I need to be there, <clears throat> you know. Um, so it's having that passion. And like I said, I use this for myself too. So I'm just sharing what I use for myself. And I, others are, creators bringing the others and they're getting a good experience at it too. Welcome them back. Let them feel welcome. I'm always encouraging others to continue. Come back, join us. I want to build us up even more. You're more than welcome. You know, it's like a family environment, community, but, you know, family as well. A lot of family members around Southeast. Now, you know, I've built a lot of good relationships. People coming, coming through and experiencing the drum. So I don't know if I really answered that. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Really good stuff. Thank you. And I'll pass it over to Alexis to ask any questions she wants to. Thank you. <clears throat> you mentioned that um, that the drum people hear the drum and then and then they show up. They they follow the drum. Um, I used to live outside of Fairbanks when I lived in Alaska. Right now I'm living in Washington state, but outside of Fairbanks, I lived in the woods, deep in the woods. And I heard the drumming and I was in my house and I went outside to the back porch and I could hear it really clear. And, um, something just compelled me to get into my car and look for the drum. I don't know what I didn't, it didn't even matter who it was. It didn't even matter if I didn't know them or not. Um, but I drove all over and of course there's so many roads in the back and a lot of roads that aren't labeled, just dirt roads. And I kept going on all these roads and, um, and with the window down trying to find the drumming, I could never find it. This went on, um, I say for about a month, every weekend, every Saturday, and even the neighbors would come over to my house and I didn't even know the neighbors. We, the neighbors and I weren't close. No one was close to each other, but they would come out of their homes and come over and knock on the door and say, Oh, excuse me. You know, I don't mean to bother you. They didn't even know my name. Um, but I was wondering, did you hear the drums last weekend? And I said, Oh yeah, I did hear the drums. And I explained how I drove all over. I was looking, um, and it brought the neighbors together. It brought all of us together. We didn't, we couldn't find the drum though. We didn't know. So I was in school at the time and I went to class and one of my professors, I shared this. He said, Hey, Alexis, um, how was your weekend? And I told them about the drumming. And then I told them about the neighbors, how kind of incredible that was because I had been there about five years and no one knew anybody. So he said, oh, the drumming. And I said, yeah, you know, and I'm telling him like a location, a roundabout location about where I heard it. And he said, that's my drumming. And I said, what? It's your drumming. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I hold um, a drumming circle every weekend, and I have youth come, 
and youth actually um, from local local community in Fairbanks, as well as people from outside of the community would fly in and have the drumming circle. But he would do it on Saturday, the drumming circle on Saturday. Uh, the teens would stay over and then they would do other things on the Sunday. And then they would fly out that night, go back home Sunday night. And I said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that it's you. And then he said, oh, yeah, if you want to come over and join or or just watch or be a part or anything like that, just come over. And then he told me where he lived, which ended up to be about three, you know, three roads down, you know, on some winding road. Um, but that got me thinking, how is it with you and what has your experience been working with youth? Oh, <clears throat> yeah, we've had a lot of youth come through, you know, uh, drumming in Juno. Well, I guess all ages, you know, I've seen the uh, young ones that get called to the, to the drum again, wherever we're at, a mother or father will come with their kids and say they heard the drumming and they're bringing their kids. They just love the excitement of their children, you know, feeling so excited about the drum. So we'll let them drum. And they, boy, it's just so exciting. A lot of video recording of that. And so great. <clears throat> but um, we would go out to about every other week, we'd go out to Montana Creek, which is a, a youth treatment center there facility in, in Juneau. And so we'd go and drum and have a drum circle there. They'd all come around and they had, you know, the feedback was, was, you know, the same. It was, they really liked the calmness. They really were able to connect with it. They showed a lot of respect. And some of them, you know, were from up North as well, or, or clinkets, you know, from the area and, and shared some of their songs. <clears throat> but um, every one of them just really loved, loved the drum. Some of them, after they got out of the facility, came and found found us and, and continued to drum with us in our groups, in our in our group on a regular basis, and uh, and we still have a couple when we get to Juno now, you know that are still with us, and our, our young adults now, and so uh, yeah, I don't know, you know, it's, it's connected the same way I've seen with everyone. It draws them, has that that pull. But don't, I, like I said, I can't understand. I don't understand it. You know, it's just uh, that that medicine, you know, the energy of the, the drum, it touches your heart. You know, you first hear it, goes to our mind and our heart and it just ignites something inside that our, and, you know, we relate that to that spiritual connection, which basically started from that miracle of being nothing to that fetus and that heartbeat was constant. There's something spiritually significant there, biologically and spiritually significant, <clears throat> you know, because we've all heard that. So if we tie that, I, I can't help but think that's related. You know, that, that beat, that sound uh, takes us right back to that in, in connection with that, that spiritual connection, you know, the energy of the, the drum, the drum beat. Because we're taught, you know, told that and taught, you know, the drum is, is uh, significant. It's, it's, a, it's alive. It's powerful. When we come to drum, it's sitting on the ground, as you'll see, see in a little bit that um, we're connected. We're sitting on the earth. We are connected to the drum by the, the stick. It's almost like uh, an arm on our body appendage. You know, the drum, very important to the drum as well. <clears throat> so uh, when we make that connection to the earth, through the stick, to the drum, that sound is coming through, connect going into the universe, to the creator, 
And now to everyone who's, they may be spread out around like a powwow. Everyone's hearing it who's sitting around the arbor and not maybe, may not even be close to the drum, but they're feeling and they feel good. Mm-hmm. Everyone's feeling good because of this, this energy. <clears throat> or at Sundance, you know, big drums are used as well. Very powerful. They help keep the dancers dancing. You know, we dance for four days in the sun, fasting, fasting, you know, and, and um, kind of suffering. And you get exhausted, but that drum is going, and it keeps keeps you going. Those singers are amazing who can sing, you know, four days strong, keeping you going with that beat and the words that they're singing. Some songs don't have words to it, but it's that beat that motivates you, amps you up, keeps you going, you know. It's like Zerta, keep uh, <clears throat> keep you keep you uh, energized and motivated, you know, to keep moving, keep keep those steps going, keep dancing. And just praying. So there's that connection as well. <clears throat> Sundance are very, very powerful. And drums are used in a lot of different ways. So. But yeah, youth, you know, they, uh, yeah, I think they just remember it from all of us. It kind of just goes back to being in that womb and hearing that heartbeat. Mm-hmm. There's a connection there somehow. And again, yeah. I'm not, like I said, I'm no expert. It's just through observation what I've seen. I've seen some things, like I said, I consider miracles that, you know, it's helped to drop walls or bring some healing to people. And, that, you know, it doesn't just come and fix. It's not the fix-all. We have traumas and hurt and pain. It brings comfort. Let's us know there's a, a, a there's a tool out there that can actually bring this comfort <clears throat> and, uh, and bring calmness and support to be able to keep working forward, you know, keep moving forward to find the help that we need to be able to work on those, you know, those hurts and pains, those traumas. So again, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'd love to find out the exact, what's exactly happening, you know, with this. It's that energy, that vibration going through the air, touches us all. And I can only, for me, it just takes us back to being that, being in the womb, connected to the heart. Something spiritual there, you know. Yeah. Everything's interconnected. So we're on the earth, participating on uh, grandfather, putting that energy out. It's going into the universe. It's going all over impacting a lot of different people and again wherever we've been like christian was saying when we when he came to the drum i was <laughs> i was uh i knew it call people you know it just happens all the time but this one was saying you know and that same thing that others say the drum called me over it's always interesting to hear that drum mm-hmm. called me so it's like a life being calling out to certain people who are meant to hear it and they come come uh come to the drum find the drum come and you know, and I'll invite them in, sit down, grab a stick, join us. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't know the songs, they didn't never drum some fill. Like, I've ne- never done it before. You know, I might mess up. and That's okay. Just join us anyway. <laughs> you know, we're not here about messing up. You know, focused on trying to get everything just right. Just connecting with that drum, letting them experience. They call them over for a reason. Might as well let them sit there and experience it as well. Well, I ended up um, looking forward to the the Saturdays, and um, it just brought everyone closer. And I couldn't explain it either. How am I gonna? And I was busy. I was doing things at my home. I was, you know, I was doing things. I was like, "Oh, time to get in the car." What? Why am I getting in the car? I don't even know where I'm going. <laughs> but you're right. It does call. 
Thank you. I think it's hard to really understand that and explain it. All you can do is explain by how it actually made you feel when you heard it and the way it made you feel inside. That's the same way everyone else is feeling as well, you know, and how it drew you. That's hard to explain. Hard to pinpoint exactly, you know, what exactly is happening. Mm -hmm. Something spiritual there. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I thought it would be a good time to open up questions to from our listeners. So if you have a question, you can either queue up in the um, in the caller, which looks like we've got Deb. I'll get to you in just a second. Or you can ask a question in the chat. And I'll start with uh, with Deb here. Hi, Deb. Can you hear us? You're there you are, Deb. Sure. <clears throat> Hello, Deb. Um, <clears throat> yeah, when I made that drum in the very beginning, like I said, made it and it just sat. I didn't know the drum. So the first teacher was someone from North Dakota who was a singer. He has had a girlfriend from here. She brought him back for the summer or during the summertime of 99. And, and um, I had the drum sitting there. I don't know why. You know, that was spiritual, too. Part of that that vision it just compelled got was compelled to make a drum never drummed before at all so he started teaching me some basic songs he left me with like maybe five songs that i just continued to sing those and then uh then we got a, another a, a bigger drum a real drum and uh, i'd go down to north dakota i go to north dakota you know to uh, go down for a ceremony go down for annual powwow, go visit family and had um, relatives who take, who are into powwow. One in particular, he was older than me, but uh, he was, when he was younger, his mom abandoned him and was really caught up in substance abuse. So he was, he was left with his grandparents, real traditional people, but they, they sang ceremony and powwow all the time. So he grew up as a little kid following them all his life. <clears throat> singing and so when i came he knew he was married to my first cousin so i uh, met him and he pretty much just he knew i was i wanted to sing or was interested and took me under his wing you know just start teaching me songs this guy knew a lot of the old songs when we go to powwows we travel around pick him up and we'd go and a lot of people would come up to him shake his hand and ask about certain songs ask if he would sing with them he's really highly respected amongst in the in the powwow community and so that was interesting to travel around with them so i learned a lot of songs with them we'd be cruising to a powwow you know 
offer some tobacco as well. Have a niece who's going to move the camera back a little bit and so you can see. Right there. <coughs> okay. So as we sit here and we bring the drum in, it's almost like bringing our grandfather and our, our elder taking their place here. You know, we're calling on them to help us in a, in a good way or just to be with us. And so tobacco is just an offering. We go outside and pray or see, you know, certain animals, you know, will offer tobacco just out of respect for the blessing of just that sighting or just to be able to breathe that air and <clears throat> connect with all the spirits around us. We bring tobacco here to offer after uh, our grandfather, because <clears throat> we're calling on, on the good, in a good way to help us to make this offer this prayer up, and uh, it's in a way saying, you know, giving thanks for the for grandfather being here and us being able to uh, use use him in in this way. So it's just a gift and offering. This is my grandson Wyatt. Grandson, he's the oldest of my grandsons, grandchildren. <clears throat> really proud of him because he really he likes to sing as well. So this first one, we're just going to do a short uh, prayer song we like to open up all our groups with. It's uh, called Calling the Holy Ones. It's asking, it's a Lakota song. It's asking Creator, calling out to Creator to help us on this path we want because it could be difficult. So to, to, to be with us. <clears throat> Yeah,
How'd you like that? That was beautiful. Very transformative and spiritual experience for me. So uh, thank you. What was your What was your grandson's name? You said Wyatt. Wyatt. Yeah. Thank you, Justin and Wyatt. Uh, I can't even put it into words. So I just want to say thank you. Well, Justin, we're uh, going over time, and um, I just wanted to, again, this is something I can't put into words, but I can't reflect how meaningful this experience has been for me. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, from my heart to yours, for coming on here, for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience, for sharing the drumming, um, for sharing the drumming with us, for sharing you with us. And I just want to say thanks for being you. You know, if there were more people like you in this world, it would be a better place. Um, so thanks for blessing us with your, with your time and your presence this morning. Um, I wanted to, before I give you last word, Justin, I wanted to give, um, Alexis and Robin a chance to have any last words. Alexis, any thoughts? Oh, I have a lot. I wish we had all afternoon. Um, yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming here onto the podcast um, thank you to your grandson for joining in also and showing the drums. The drum is amazing. Um, thank you, Professor Stetler, for having this podcast. I think I, I love this podcast. I always have. Um, I hope it continues for a very long time. Robin, thank you so much for <laughs> thank you so much for showing up so I didn't have to do this alone. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think that it's it's a really good opportunity, especially for for people who, you know, are not as social, a little bit shy, pretty quiet. Um, that's why I chose to come here, because it was kind of out of my element. Um, and that's how we grow, is to do things that make us feel uncomfortable. Um, so thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, I will. I will echo all of that. And um, that was just amazing. Thank you so much, Justin and uh, Professor Stetler and Alexis. And um, also, I want to encourage all of our classmates that are here to, you know, if you're kind of on the fence, just do it. Even if you're a little scared, just ignore those feelings and just do it. It's a great experience. So, yes, thank you, everyone here and uh you have a couple comments i'll read to you justin and then i'll give you the last word uh heather said yes thanks for sharing and i hope to hear more of a retreat would definitely go and i'd love to see you in noreen i'm happy to spread the word if and when this comes to fruition so very happy to see you uh deb says thanks and says my mother says thanks and she learned something today she listened with me this morning much prayers heather said added love peace and understanding Shannon said, that was really neat to hear. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, so yeah, lots of thanks and gratitude from our side. Uh, so I just want to give you the last word, Justin. Well, y'all are very welcome for, uh, for that, just to acknowledge all the, the, the thanks, words of thanks. Um, I want to say thank you very much. Um, for allowing me to come on this podcast and share. Like I said, it's my first time. I enjoyed it. You know, um, <clears throat> I also have a kind of a hard time trying to explain, you know, things that uh, that I'm doing because I don't have everything down. I don't want to explain things. I don't really understand quite, you know, exactly myself. 
and just practicing them. So I'm just sharing what I understand. It could be could be a lot more in-depth meaning to it, you know, that I'm still kind of searching for. So um, it was an honor to be on here and be able to share for all those that uh, are listened in. Thank you for listening listening in this morning and and uh, being open to to uh, this talk and and listening to the drum. And hopefully, you know, I think the drum, we have every race has the drum in common. Every race has been in that womb, you know, and um, we just, there was a disconnection a while back. So it's coming to, you know, returning to that, returning to the teachings. But we got to be in a place in ourselves too, you know, to make that a priority. I was trying to tell our people, you make it a priority to work on these things that are, are really holding you back and triggering because your life could be just so much more fulfilling and happier and beautiful. If not, it's holding you back from experiencing, you know, beauty, especially, you know, spiritual, spiritual blessings and, and experiences. So, yeah, I hope everyone can connect with a drum sometime, somewhere. Maybe order a kit for yourself and practice. You know, that's one thing anyone can do. You know, there's different places where you can order a drum or buy one. Flip over a bucket and use it. I use it once in a while, five-gallon bucket or something, you know. And uh, you can come up with your own song. I put that out there to everybody. As you're sitting and maybe sitting out by the beach or in the woods or just by yourself, you know, quiet it down and, and see what comes to mind. Because if that's true that we all have our own song, it's in there somewhere. But we got to be in a place in ourselves where we can be open to it and, and welcome it in. You know, I've heard stories of people saying the song came to them all of a sudden. And so they just start singing it and then recorded themselves. It came out of nowhere. It was like it was brought to them. That's their song. You know, just eat simple chants on the drum, you know, A-E-I-O-U if you want, you know, just kind of singing it out there. Something about that vibration when we're singing does a lot. Breathing techniques, have your own drum and beat to, beat to the, you know, uh, breathe to the breathe to the drum drum beat so there's a lot you can do on your own and something will come if you're open to it hopefully everyone will get that opportunity to experience that you know find a drum around you somewhere or get your own and and uh, uh, allow yourself to be open to to learning again practice being that hollow bone practice getting that stuff aside it may need work take some time but for right now, for this moment, put it aside and open mentally and emotionally. Yeah, and we're, we're thankful that we have teachers that are still, you know, out here like Justin. But what uh, the last point I wanted to touch on that Justin said was, you know, making yourself open, be open, you know, to these kinds of things. And especially if you're struggling. And uh, even further than that, put an invitation out. All you got to do is Say it to yourself. Say it out loud if you want. Tell somebody else. Put it out there. The invitations, in my experience, from you know, coming from the bottom of homeless guy sleeping on doorsteps to a college professor, if I could offer one piece of advice, it would be just that. If you open yourself and you ask for an invitation, usually it may not always come the way you want it or the way you expect it or the way you thought it might, but it almost always works out for you and the, the invitations are answered. <coughs> Thanks, Justin. It's been a pleasure. Um, you can find episodes right here on the Colin app or via Apple, Spotify, um, after they're recorded. We'll be broadcasting here live every Saturday morning um, at 10 a.m. Alaska time. Next week, I have 
I actually have three guests um, that are that I went to school with at University of Hawaii at Manoa that have all taken different paths since they've acquired their MSW. So please come next week if you're interested in that. It'll be a lot of practical use for social work students as well. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. So make sure that you check us out. The Critical Social Worker is a collaborative effort between the University of Alaska Fairbanks Department of Social Work and a Conscious Party Productions. This episode was hosted by Professor Christian Stetler, Alexis Ford, and Robin Coro. Conscious Party Production. You've been listening to The Critical Social Worker, a revolutionary storytelling podcast. Your story, my story, our story. <laughs>